going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell. Raja is on vacation, so we got our guy Dave Sampson in for him. What's up, man? How we doing? I'm good. I went from sometimes Sampson to occasional Sampson. That's right. No, we'll no, we go all the time. We'll go all the time. No, I'm very we'll happy. Schedule. I love seeing you back here. We're going to have a good time. Can we go off schedule just very quick? Of course. Why I love going off schedule. Sweden versus USWNT? United States Women's National Team. Why can't our graphics say Sweden versus United States? And just no acknowledgement of WNT. Do we say against you? Is it USMNT during the Men's World Cup? I actually, there was a USMNT game the other day when they were playing in the CONCACAF Cup, and we did say US Men's National Team. So we did state, we did say the difference. We are, we're I'm fair. We're about all it. about fairness and equality here. It's United States. It is. We are one country, right? That's what we do. Um, you're fired up about the World Cup. I am too. Let me just clarify something. We have a ton of stuff we want to get to. The NBA draft is tonight. Uh, Major League Baseball umpires versus players. Get into that. Um, we were talking gambling before. Just so everybody knows, I do not have a problem. Not in gambling anyway. The stock market has been another issue, but that's just gambling. gambling wise. Oh yeah, it absolutely is. That's my real problem. And you that probably know less about one. the stock market than you do about sports. <laughs> I don't know. I, do, I dove into it pretty deep at one time when I made an attempt to make a career as a day trader. And that, uh, that's why I'm doing this now is because that did not succeed. So you can imagine how well that went, but you were surprised, uh, that I have an account and that I was going to bet the world cup game this afternoon with us against Sweden. Um, it's not a very big account. I never gamble. That's all as a, relative. It's all, it is very, that is very good point. It, it is not, it is three digits, not anything, not anything more. So it's not that much money. Um, but I never, just to be clear, cause I wonder sometimes what people think. I had no clue about anything on gambling when I was a professional athlete. Like really no idea. I didn't, I knew the favorite, the term favorite was the it team that was supposed to win. I swear. You're going to tell me you never knew the line of any of the games you played in as a professional football player. Never paid attention to it. Oops. Never. Now here's the thing. I will say I knew we were supposed to win by maybe a touchdown, you know, like, but I never looked at it at the end of a game in the fourth quarter. Never. And I, no one I played with ever did Come either. On. Didn't I'm you hold the clipboard you, a lot? Oh, all the time. Did it make you wonder? when at the end of the game when an extra point got kicked and the crowd goes crazy in a 20-point game and Never. everyone's losing their mind Clueless. with excitement. Clueless. I'm not buying it. I swear to you. I'm I would, not well, buying I, what you're selling. I feel like we have a good enough relationship where you would feel I would be honest with you. I, if I did, I would totally tell you. I would, say, I would say, yeah, I knew why the people – I had no clue. How many I'm of your teammates I didn't were understand, clueless, would you say? I would say all of them. <laughs> all 53. And no baseball players do steroids. <laughs> well, see, baseball is a different sport. I don't know how that was because when I played baseball, everybody was doing steroids, and they were asking me to do it, and they were doing it in the clubhouse. And they you were said no? Up. I did. Was it the acne that you didn't want? No, no. It was the threat of going back to football and, bu- and getting busted because I kind of – you know, I was playing minor league baseball, and in the back of my mind – well, probably in the front of my mind, I'm like, I'm really not going to make it to the Yankees or the Mets or a real Major League Baseball team. The reality was I was I'm not offended by that. Right. But the, but I was probably going to get a chance back in the NFL. So I didn't want to ruin that where all of a sudden I could get a call. A team needs a player. And I'm, you know, I'm like, uh Oh, what am I going to do now? So I turned it down. I, but the guys asked me and it wasn't pressure. It was just like, Hey, do you want to give it a shot? Like it's helped me. No and, pun intended. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. That's exactly what the way it went down. And it was no big deal, but gambling, I promise you. And it was funny because when I was at Florida State, Bobby Bowden brought in Danny Sheridan, who's, you know, a famous odds maker from Las Vegas and he's well known in those circles. 
came to talk to our team one time to say hello and he introduced him as this famous you know odds maker and we didn't even know who it was or what it meant and he was just like hey guys how you doing you know you guys are favorite you guys have done all this so many times and we i love no giving idea. listeners information so they can make good decisions and win bets that's right that's, that's what, what i like. we should do and that's what i like to do too because if we're all making money that's a good thing all right let's get it started because the nba draft is coming up we've had a lot of movement already I think we'll see a lot more movement as several teams are trying to unload picks or move up in the draft. But one of the biggest deals that we've seen take place is Anthony Davis getting moved to the Lakers from the New Orleans Pelicans. The Lakers give them the house, except for Kyle Kuzma. But one of the very interesting things that happened is this trade almost took place before the trade deadline in the regular season. And Gail Benson, who owns the New Orleans Pelicans, along with the New Orleans Saints, at the time reportedly said there's no way we're trading ad to the lakers quote over her dead body she's denied that she reportedly laughed and told the original point uh, the original report was totally absurd and completely untrue i call bs i totally true absolutely it's true i could totally envision a scenario where she's angry They've spent all this money. He just signed a contract extension not that long before. And she's saying, no way. We are not moving Anthony Davis. If we didn't trade any players who our owner said would he would <laughs> never trade except over his dead body, we never would have made any trades. So owners are emotional in that way. That's what they do. The job of the Pelicans and of the of your baseball operation is to maximize your talent and make trades at the right time. That's the hardest part about winning a ring is trying to figure out when to trade players a year too early versus a year too late. And this trade fascinates me. The subject that's way more fascinating is the fact, is it possible the Lakers didn't understand the cap rules? I think it, it, it is. It can't be true. You don't think it's true? I if think it is, I want firings and I want them right now. Well, yeah, I think that's going to be an issue uh, for sure if they didn't. And I think we'll find out more about it. I could. So here's where here's a couple of reasons why I would believe it. Uh, one, the dysfunction we've seen to this point. Right. Like how the how messed up you've heard it is. Magic is not down. ignorance, though. Right. But I would say ignorance is when you have Linda Rambis making decisions on who's going to be the next head coach. That's stupidity. <laughs> okay. But I mean, seriously. And I, I love Kurt number, Rambis. The number of different, of course, but Linda Rambis was on the other side of like the hospitality part of the ownership. She had nothing to do with basketball. And yet she's the one that apparently nicks the Ty Lu deal. Like, where does that make sense in any world? So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, Rob Palenka, who is making these deals. Supposedly, I'm assuming he is as the president uh, or acting GM right now. They don't have a president because they're not going to replace Magic. Um, he was a former agent, doesn't have a ton of experience as a general manager. So for that reason, I'm like, maybe he just was so desperate. Because I do feel the Lakers were desperate to get past Magic, to get past the failed trade at the trade deadline, that they might have just said, let's get it done. What is it going to take? And David Griffin, who the New Orleans Pelicans have, is a savvy veteran GM who probably knows the cap inside and out is kind of just floating this deal saying this is what it takes and the Lakers might have said man we can get this done for this little you don't want Kyle Kuzma all right sign let's do it and they say after the fact hold on a second if this was delayed by 30 days or whatever whatever the number is we could save this much money and they didn't think about that they just thought let's get Anthony Davis and worry about everything else after yeah let's talk about a front office and what what happens in that front office there is uh there is accountability for people who work for a GM who are rules guys. If you're not strong in the rules, you have people under you who are administratively strong. Salary cap experts, 100%. all of those. They're, they're employed by every team. 
if a trade is made where a mistake like this happens, it can only mean that there is a culture of fear in that front office where the underlings are afraid to speak up. Because if it's true that not one of the underlings was aware of what was happening, that is inexcusable. If it's true they were aware of what's happening but were afraid to tell the GM, that's a culture of fear. If they did tell the GM and the GM ignored it and still made the trade, that's fireable malpractice offense. and fireable. The first two are fireable for me as well. All right. So you just brought up two excellent points that I think make it more likely that they didn't listen. Uh, the report that came out was that Magic and Rob Palenka had their own separate office uh, during the draft process, free agency process, and that last year's draft when they selected Mo Wagner, everybody else, there were two separate offices. Like this is dysfunction at its finest. Rob Palenka, Magic Johnson over here. All the scouts and scouting department are over here. Probably the capologist, everybody else are over here in a different room. They thought they were going to go in one direction. Magic and Rob said, nope, we're taking Mo Wagner. We like him. And everybody in this room was like, huh? Their jaws hit the floor. And they didn't have no idea. Like they did not consult with them. So that's one. And then you talk about the culture of fear. Maybe it's changed, but there was a lot of coverage. And I do believe these reports that came out that said, Magic Johnson, that everybody was terrified and that there, you know, two, two people, employees had panic attacks because they were afraid they were going to lose their job. I would describe that as a culture of fear. So I think there's a likelihood that, yeah, maybe somebody was like, uh oh, I hope Rob parachuted though, right? I mean, he would, he wasn't there nine to five Monday through Friday. And Palinka was. He parachuted in and he came out, right? Hit the eject button. That's exactly right. And so him leaving the Lakers is not as critical to me in their operation. Right. The fact that they're relying on this Palinka guy who, I'm speechless, which never happens to me, Danny, because a mistake like this is so critical. Even if they don't want a third max player, Options are what you want when you're running a team. Right. And you've got to have the option of signing that third max player. They're in a bind right now because I don't know how they're going to get another max player. I think they're going to have to, by default, go the route of, hey, let's see what kind of veterans we can come in here on shorter-term deals. Not the star player, the caliber of Kemba, Kemba Walker, Jimmy Butler, like Kawhi Leonard, forget it. It's just not there. So I think they're going to be forced to do that. The thing that I think will be interesting is, do we ever get the truth about this? Do we ever find out no. if Rob Palinka was so, you know, desperate to make the trade that he didn't really pay attention to some of the finer details and he would never admit it because he probably realizes, uh oh, I made a massive mistake. It's the Watergate papers. Be. Right. 20 exactly. years from now when books come out, when, when it won't matter as much. But can we go back to gambling? Can we yeah. bet on Frank Vogel and the over under on the number of victories Frank Vogel will get as a Los Angeles Lakers coach? I thought you were going to say how many games before he's fired as that's Los what, Angeles that's uh, what Lakers I'm coach. Because, I mean, same it's thing. very similar to David Blatt, where I could see a team that's pretty good, and maybe LeBron just doesn't like it, and Anthony Davis just doesn't like it. And at the halfway point, they That'll could be, be for Vogel. a playoff team, like seventh or eighth seed, and they want to make a change, and they say, oh, and LeBron's in there every day talking to, um, you know, Rob Palenka, and Rich Paul, his agent, is saying, hey, if you bring in Ty Lue, this is a championship team, but with Frank Vogel, it's not. I could absolutely. There I would say no mistake of why these forty games. Coach. I mean, I think I would say halfway through the years. And their assistant coaches they hired, right? Right. That's right. not a mistake. No, uh, no, absolutely, it's not. So Vogel I could, can't feel good. I hope his contract is guaranteed, or else he should rent and not buy. We better, or his agent should be fired, because I'm sure all those uh, <laughs> we're are, firing everyone today. That, that is true. We are. Uh, all right. So we have the NBA draft is taking place tonight. Uh, I mean, you talk about a sure thing, Zion Williamson to go number one overall to the New Orleans Pelicans. I think the fascinating discussion with Zion, he's such an explosive, dynamic, 
energetic player that I think he can come in and make an impact on the NBA. Now, Raja, who sits in your seat, says, hold on a second. You are buying into the hype a little bit too much. It's going to take time. So you're on I the- can't agree with Raja. It makes me crazy. <laughs> but you are on that side of, hold on a second. Let's dial back on the Zion hype. He's not the, the he's not Jordan, right? He's coming in as a consensus number one in a draft that is deep, but not amazing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a Hall of Fame type of draft. Zion is clearly the number one pick, and he should be. But I don't think he comes in and, for example, makes New Orleans a relevant team in the NBA from a national game standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from a revenue standpoint. I don't think he alone will carry an NBA team. He was a man amongst boys in college. He will be a man amongst other men in the pros. And I just I think he's got to develop an outside game, uh, a mid-range to outside game, a little bit like Giannis, who has not quite developed that. Yep. But and I think Giannis is bigger and stronger and better. And I'm not you know Zion just doesn't have the size for me. So I think he does have a lot of similarities to LeBron physically. Um, and I think playing wise too, because LeBron's jump shot wasn't that great coming out of high school either. I think LeBron was probably a better ball handler, although Zion's got enough adequate skills to go there. I do think so. Here's, I think LeBron, I think Zion will be able to do the things that he was doing that impressed us in college. I think I think he'll be able to, you know, have the monster dunks in traffic. I think he'll be able to swat balls out of the gym defensively. I think he'll be able to rip def- uh rebounds down in the middle of the paint with other big NBA stars because he's built there. Like when I was at uh, ESPN, they used to have this car wash where they'd have the draft picks come through the week of the draft. And you're seeing that happen now. And I remember seeing some of these guys like D'Angelo Russell came through there. Um, there were a couple other kids from Duke, um, the Kentucky players, all top 15, you know, or right. lottery picks. And I remember every time I met them, I was like, Holy cow. These guys are skinny. They're babies. They are not ready for the NBA. Zion's built for the NBA already. Like, he's thick. He can handle the physicality of the NBA, which I think is half the battle. You know, like, I think that's half the battle is being able to muscle and hang with them because it's a rough league. Carrying an NBA team. All right, so I didn't say carrying a team. I didn't say carrying a team. That's what we're talking about. You said, will New Orleans – don't walk back your position. (laughs) You said, will New Orleans now be relevant? Can he put them in the – Well, I think they'll be relevant. I think they'll be relevant. Not with him leading the charge. Oh, I think it doesn't work. He's not built that way. I think it also remains to be seen, though, what else does Griff do? Because I don't think he's done. I think by the time draft night is over, I think you, New Orleans might even make a move uh, with the fourth pick that they inherited from the Lakers, maybe try to do something where they add another piece. Because, yeah, it's a way too young of a team to expect them to go out there. But I think I think Zion will make some waves and uh, will There's make an difference. opening. The thing that I love about the NBA coming next season is everyone in the Western Conference believes they can win now yep. as opposed to when the Warriors had everybody. Right. Now we're looking way out in the future. Now, now it's team. wide open. Now you are trying to win right now. Yep, absolutely are. So the the Warriors have some decisions to make. That was a segue. You like that? That was smooth. We're working together. I like it how you did that. Um, what would you do with Kevin Durant? Because this is a this is a very very serious injury. He's thirty. It's getting to be where he's a little bit older. Throw tomatoes at me. Uh, there's no chance I'm signing him to a max deal. Not one chance. The odds of him coming back as Kevin Durant that we know and love from this Achilles injury 
are 20% at most. There is no reason to give him that max deal. He's not a kid anymore. He's going to come back at 32 years old, pushing 33 years old. It does not make sense to me. So uh, For any team or for the Warriors? For any team. So if you're the Knicks desperate oh for relevance. No, the Knicks will do it because well, they're, they're bad. Right. Ever. They make mistakes. They throw money away. I think Durant goes to the Knicks as a max player. Because that's perfect Knicks. It's what they do, which is why they haven't won a title since 1973 or been to the finals since 99 and been totally irrelevant as the number one market in the NBA next to L.A. And it's pathetic. I would do uh, – I would pass if I was the Warriors because I think they've done it. They've shown before they can do it. And you have the ver- uh, uncertainty. I would definitely lock up Clay Thompson, though, because I think let, uh, an ACL is totally different than an Achilles. He could be even back for next year's playoff run for the Warriors. Uh, he'll be rusty. You, rusty. Oh, he'll definitely be rusty. rusty, but as far as a max deal, I wouldn't hesitate at all for Clay Thompson. Can I shout out to Toby Knight? Do you know who that is? Who's Toby Knight? Toby Knight, number 43 of the New York Knicks, tore his ACL uh, back in the 80s, and that was the end of his career. So only 30, 40 years ago, torn ACLs were career-ending injuries in the National Basketball Association. Now we've got Clay Thompson, who tore his ACL, and he's going to miss under a season and get a max contract deal. Yep. Toby, I'm sorry. I loved watching you. <laughs> right? Uh, that was very common. They would open up the entire knee. You'd see the scar, and guys would never be the same. Uh, but now they will. So I think that's good. Um, you talked about the Knicks. There was a report out that they were possibly thinking about looking at Garland uh, as the fourth pick and taking him third overall. And I was like, wouldn't that be a Knicks move if they passed on R.J. Barrett to take somebody else that was a little riskier and then watch R.J. Barrett, like, tear it up? On, you know, if, if you, especially if you rejoined in New Orleans with Zion Williamson, like that would be insane. So you talk culture of fear. You want to talk what Jimmy Dolan's like in Madison Square Garden, the owner of the Knicks, where he's walking down. It's worse than Steinbrenner with the Yankees. Is it really? It's, it's worse than Steinbrenner with the Yankees. And Steinbrenner with the Yankees was the number yeah. one. Yeah. People would sit at their desk because they heard a rumor that Steinbrenner was walking through the halls. I know these stories firsthand. They're right. They're accurate. You're sitting at your desk because Steinbrenner, he may stop by after the game. So you're at 11 o'clock at night sitting at your desk worrying that he's going to come by because if he doesn't come by, he would leave a note saying, oh, you're not here. You're fired. Yep. That's real. Those things actually happen. And with the Knicks, it's so dysfunctional. It wouldn't surprise me if the draft scouts and the draft guys have no idea that Dolan's going to come in at the last minute and demand a different pick. So that I didn't. I had no idea. I thought I knew Dolan was inept as an owner. I didn't know that he had modeled after the Steinbrenner fear model. He is, I uh, people it's, rules with the iron fist? It's huh? A struggle there. Really? I mean, I know obviously he had the fan that was kicked out, and he's like, never come back. He's gone. Uh, true story because the Steinbrenner story came up when I was a kid. My dad was helping out the Yankees in spring training, so he would go every day to every game, and he would see the players, and he would and he'd bring me a lot of times. So in spring training, where games do not matter, right? They don't count against your record. George Steinbrenner would cheat them like the World Series. So I would always love going with my dad into the training room, and I'd get to hang out and see Reggie Jackson and um, you know Catfish Hunter and Ron Guidry and all these great players, the Yankees, and I would just sit in there, and they'd all talk to me and stuff. But it was always, always, if the Yankees won, I was allowed to go. If they lost, it was you'll wait in the car, and I'll be out in an hour. You know, and I would just have to wait there. Was not allowed in there because if Steinbrenner came in there, he might have fired my dad for having a kid in the locker room after a loss. It's just the way it was. Would have. Yeah, absolutely, it was. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, welcome back to Kinnell and Bell. David Sampson hanging out with me today while Roz is on vacation. We got Reed Forgrave is going to join us right now, our CBS Sports basketball expert on all things NBA draft that we have coming up tonight. Reed, it's great to have you on. First thing I want to get to, uh, the expectation is that we should see a lot of movement before the draft tonight, trades, even during the draft. Sometimes in the NFL, my experience has been you think it's going to happen and then it just kind of lands with a dud and you're like, oh, everybody stands put. Which side of the fence are you on with what type of action we should see tonight? Yeah, I, I expect a lot of action. I mean, starting with the Pelicans at number four, uh, it does sound like they are actively shopping that pick. You've got a bunch of teams with multiple first-rounders, some of which are looking to possibly package those to move up. Maybe the Celtics do. Maybe the Hawks do. The Hawks have the eighth and the tenth pick. I just got uh, a source texting me just a little bit ago saying the Knicks are trying to move up and to get a second first-round pick in order to take ball-ball. We'll see if that happens. But, again, you're absolutely right that, like, it is sort of smokescreen season where you don't quite know the truth and the falsehoods, but it does sound like there are enough rumblings out there. There's certainly the potential for there to be a lot of movement between now and midnight Eastern tonight. All right, so we already had a deal uh, the other day with Utah making a deal with Memphis to bring in Mike Conley. The instant reaction is, hey, this is yet another team in the Western Conference who looks close to contending, especially with uncertainty around the Warriors. How much of a difference maker is Conley going to be for the Utah Jazz? Yeah, Utah Jazz, 2020 title contender. I think it's official. This is a trade that they tried to make at the trade deadline this past year. And what we saw from the Jazz in the playoffs, frankly, through most of the season – was they were one creator away from being a great team. It was a great defensive team, but there was just so much pressure on Donovan Mitchell to be the guy on the offensive end. And I think Donovan Mitchell is an all-star in the making. I think he's a an absolute stud, but he needs help. And Mike Conley, there were some weird reactions that I heard in, in certain circles after that trade. Oh, Mike Conley's over the hill. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's literally coming off his best season. I know there are the injury concerns there, but I think if you're the Utah Jazz, you pull the trigger on that trade, you've got to be absolutely thrilled because with the Warriors uh, totally up in the air and likely out of contention this coming season, uh, you, you, that runway in the West is absolutely wide open and the Jazz just position themselves as one of uh, what I think will be the best teams in the West. Reed, we got to go back, and we've been talking about the Lakers here on the show because as a front office guy, my mind is blown at the possibility that there's a GM who is not aware of salary cap implications and the dates w- under which you should do a trade. Can you please help me as an insider? One, is it possible that he didn't know? And two, if so, what would you do about that? Look, uh, is it possible that he didn't know? Sure sounds like it, right? And it, is it possible that this front office with the Lakers could completely screw something up? I mean, all the evidence says absolutely. Like, look at their offseason last year. They literally compiled, like, the worst possible team to compliment LeBron James in that offseason. So I have very little faith 
in Rob Palenka being able to do something this, this offseason to change that. Uh, it does sound like, like they screwed something up and it was the devil in the detail stuff. And you, you hear about that front office and it sounds like a very insular front office where Rob Palenka is now making all the decisions. He's got a salary cap in, guy in there. That guy knows what's going on and that guy must just be like, what in the world were you guys thinking? All right, so now they find themselves in this spot, and I tend to agree with you. David is in disbelief. He's not believing it. He refuses to believe <laughs> that they screwed this up. I am. I think, hey, this has been this dysfunctional. But now that they're in this spot, what do you think they do? Like, because I don't know if they're gonna. They only have two guys left to try to move. I don't think they're gonna be able to clear enough space. So I think they're probably gonna go along the lines of, hey, let's find some role players, the best ones we can find that might take a discount to play with LeBron. But what what do you envision them doing? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of G leaguers out there that you can fill out a roster with. Uh, they're they're in a weird spot, right? Like they have two top five players in the NBA. Just through that alone, that means that you are a title contender. Uh, LeBron James, we don't need to talk enough about him. He's amazing. Anthony Davis, also amazing. Hasn't proven in the playoffs yet. Hasn't been surrounded by great players yet. But what we're looking at is a team that. I mean, like, what's the Lakers' second unit look like? I don't know. I mean, honestly, like, they might be marching out some fringe NBA players, some G-leaguers. Maybe people will take the discount. Maybe Clutch Sports can, you know, give them a side role in uh, in Space Jam 2 and, and, and sort of be like, yo, I'll get some money off the side for you if you can win LeBron a title or two. Uh, obviously, that would be against the rules, but if you don't think things like that happen, you might be a little bit naive. Uh, but, yeah, I think the Lakers are – in a weird spot because Reed, I'm, pu- I'm putting you on the spot, Reed. Do you think do it. that bringing in AD is enough that LeBron can win another ring? Because I personally don't. I think that the Lakers, because of their dysfunction, their inability to operate a front office, they will not be able to put a team around them. You do need more than just those two to win a ring. I think they're contenders for sure, but I'm saying it now. LeBron does not get another ring. You don't think three on five basketball works? I mean, like Kuzma's pretty <laughs> good too, it. man. Come on, AD is amazing. Uh, look, it gives them a chance. It gives them absolutely gives them a chance. We'll see how the off season goes. Uh, LeBron tends to get what he wants in this league, so so we'll see. But 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 I'm with you as far as depth matters, and I, I think you know, look no further than the Golden State Warriors when they made that. Bargain with the devil uh, back in 2016. They got Kevin Durant, you know, one of the best basketball players on earth. Maybe the best basketball player on earth. What they sacrificed was depth. And that it was always a, a tenuous thing where if they had one or two injuries, suddenly they look very beatable. And that's what they had. And the best way to illustrate that is we talked about the first big three in Miami, mm-hmm. right, with Wade, Bosch, and James. Guess what? Without Ray Allen hitting a shot, at the end of a game six, mm-hmm. they only have one ring there in Miami. So to me, I agree with you, Reed. Depth is critical, and the Lakers, I don't know what they're doing. Reed, it was a year ago uh, Adam Silver came out, and he was really trying to implement a plan as far as minutes, get, uh, load management. Hey, we need all our stars to play in prime time. And he came out with this harshly worded statement, basically saying, hey, we need you guys to play. Then you've got Kawhi Leonard, who sits out 22 games, never plays a back-to-back, and they go and they win a championship. I think you're going to see teams go back, especially the Lakers. Like, if they can, I think they'll sit Anthony Davis a bunch, LeBron getting older, coming off an injury. I think you'll see this happen more 
than less, which is the opposite of Adam Silver, what he wanted to happen. Do you think Kawhi Leonard just set an example of how you can manage minutes and win a championship and that teams are going to follow? Absolutely. I'd do it. If I were a GM or a coach, I'd absolutely do it. I mean, remember, that's what Greg Popovich used to do. That's one of the reasons, you know, one of the sort of hidden reasons behind the Spurs greatness. Look, there's an easy solution for Adam Silver to fix this. Uh, shorten the season. Make it 72 games instead of 82. Uh, what's the chance of that happening? Owners being like, yeah, we'll give you back hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. We don't, we don't need all those extra games. Pretty close to zero. So I think this just might be one of those necessary evils that Adam Silver is going to have to deal with. Yeah, there's not going to be a short end of the season. Uh, there's no way a team gives up five home games. Uh, it's just there's too much money involved, too much of the national TV deals. And as far as load management, as a GM, as a guy who ran a team for 18 years, I don't care what the commissioner says. I know my players, and I don't let my fans know who's playing, who's not playing. I want them to come to games and watch us as a team because we want to be there in October. So what Popovich did and what every team does is 100% right. I hate it. Of course you do, Danny. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Reed hates it too, because he's a smart guy. Although if he was a GM, he would use it. If I was a GM, I'd I hate use it, it too. until April, and then right. and then you're like, oh, I'm so glad that Kawhi didn't play in those 22 games, you know? Exactly, exactly. All right, Reed, good stuff, man. Thanks, Enjoy Reed. the draft tonight. Hopefully, we get those fireworks. Right, welcome back to Canel and Bell, hanging out with David Sampson. Uh, I have a solution to the load management problem. It's a really, really easy solution. It would never happen. But then, this is what you that do. makes it a great solution. Well, all of them, like he was, like Reed was saying, shorten the season. That's an easy solution because I think that's the best solution. But you'd have to have the TV contracts reworked. You'd have to have the owners agree to it. Like, so obviously that one's a pipe dream too. This one I think is more realistic than those. So if you're we Chris. Play music, right? Yeah, right. This is a, this is big. So Chris Paul makes around $40 million a year. So I don't know what that comes out to. What is that? You're good at math. 80 games. So, and half a million a game. Half a million a game. If you want to take off, you, know, you don't get paid that game. Oh my God! What, it's brilliant. Well, that, it's, it's the it. most easy fix ever. If you want Book a it. night off, you don't get paid that night. We pay you. What if they're injured? Forty million dollars. They have to have doctors of note. Like no, no, it has to be official. No faking injuries. Although that's see, that's where the line would be blurred. Is that team, every team would have a hammy or whatever it was to get their guy the rest that they would need. Remember in the NBA, they used to call it the twenty-four second injury timeout. Mm -hmm. That's what it was when I was growing up in yep. the 70s and 80s. And the reason they changed it to the 22nd timeout yep. is they were tired of players faking, faking an injury to get, a timeout. To get the 24-second timeout. Yep. They just said, you know what? Forget all this crap. Just to get a 20-second timeout, you get one per half. So I think you are being too much of an elitist in your mindset because you said as a GM or a owner, you wouldn't tell anybody who was playing. You would say, come watch our team. If you went to watch Hamilton – on Broadway, and Lynn manuel Miranda was off that night and had his understudy, and you paid because the tickets were going for two and $3,000 a piece, wouldn't you be kind of hot? I'd be despondent, but I know the rules going in, which are I happen to – you studied the shows, and you actually know the pattern of when the understudies <laughs> oh, go. So, for, so, so when there's two so shows you would put on that on the fan. We, when there's two shows on Wednesdays. They do a matinee and a night show. You know very well he does the night show. When there's two shows on Saturdays, doing the Saturday night show. So you've got to go in with your eyes wide open. When you know that it's a back-to-back -back game, yep. 
you know very well that there's a p- very good chance that an NBA player is not going to play. That's just how it goes. That's going to hurt their attendance, But though. in the NFL, you never dealt with this because there's eight games you right. want to see. Everyone <laughs> plays the eight games. That is true. Unless you're in the late in the season, and then I don't have a problem with them sitting out if they have the playoffs locked up. That's a whole other conversation. All right, Major League Baseball. We had an interesting scenario unfold a couple nights ago. When was this? It was over the weekend, I think, the wasn't it? The issue happened Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. So Manny Machado's playing um, to set the scene. First pitch, strike. Maybe borderline, but they had the K-Zone up on the screen, and it was a strike. Manny does the thing where he kind of looks back, and you know he says something like, hey, man, I don't think that was. And the umpire probably says, get your butt back in the box. So it's starting to go a little bit south already. Then you have a strike three called, which, again, it was probably a ball, but it was borderline. It It wasn't like it was a foot outside and the catcher framed it. It wasn't that bad of a call. Meanwhile, Manny Machado thought it was an awful call. Goes ballistic. Um, every F bomb in the book. The umpire's not without fault either. He, you could tell him he was saying something like, get your bleeping butt out of here. Then he gets tossed. And after he gets tossed, he's yelling at him, sir. He's going to get his money's worth. And then he chucks the bat off to the side. He never made contact with the umpire. And so he gets a game suspension from Major League Baseball. The umpires were not happy with this. I didn't even aware they had an official Twitter account. They have an official union. That's the issue. Um, they have an official union. So they sent out a tweet saying violence in the workplace is not tolerated and offenders are dealt with severely and even made examples of for the good of its employees as well as the company itself. Is this truly what MLB wants to teach our youth? So they went with the what about the kids defense, which I'm okay in a lot of circumstances. But in this one, I have a question for you because you've watched a lot more baseball and you probably remembered a lot more baseball than I would ever remember. This, to me, what Manny Machado did, I think I've seen that a bunch on television. I've seen that a bunch when his managers, players, when they get tossed, they're going to get their money's worth. They're going to let them hear it. I did not see him push him. So my thing is, what's the problem? So before I answer that, I need to ask you because I'm just learning this whole social media thing, and you are a major social media. I am. I'm a Very popular. I mean, yeah. Tweet a lot. <laughs> Some of your tweets are coherent. Occasionally your grammar is correct. Right. Okay. Why were there so many hashtags in the beginning of the tweet? <laughs> I thought hashtags go at the end of the tweet. Well, they, well, they, they probably have somebody there that's not used to it. They should go after. There are 30 hashtags. Yeah. Hashtag lead by example. Hashtag inaction. Hashtag all, temper no tantrum. <laughs> that's pretty good. I didn't even notice that. Hashtag make an example of uh, a lot of them that were out there. Uh, they, tr- they're trying to get everyone to notice this and to say, Hey, we're umpires and we matter is basically what they're trying yeah. to do. The problem is the relationship. And I, I did a few radio shows yesterday, um, uh, talking about this issue. The, the umpires and MLB central office, the commissioner's office, they don't get along very well. We always wanted to fire older umpires who stunk and there's a, a list of them yeah. and they're protected by the union and it's frustrating. There's a big lawsuit going on with Angel Hernandez, who's one of the two or three worst umpires that are in baseball. And that's statistically proven, right? I don't I mean because with replay I, and with balls and strikes, you can tell when a guy is bad and he is widely <laughs> like no bow strike zone. Oh, I don't want that. I want it. Do you ever go to a tennis match? I do. I it's know. so quick. The- hey, look, you get it, and the ball is either in, it's on the line, it's out. And the reason why players and umps are battling like this, everyone gets frustrated. Machado is frustrated he's hitting 250. He's frustrated the Padres aren't going to win the wild card. He's frustrated about Bryce Harper. We're showing him. Why does he frustrate? He's hitting 240, and the Phillies aren't winning games. And the umpires make the mistake of thinking that they're the show. There are NBA referees 
who used to think they were the show. They still do. Raja talks about them all the time. But it's way fewer. You know, Steve Javi is this big-time now analyst, referee guy during yep. the games. He was one of the quickest tees of all time. He would get riled up and get in your face and yell all the time. So I don't like when the referees or umpires become this, but the union is the issue and the, the tension between the union and baseball. Uh, how much of this do you think had to be with the just the dislike for Manny Machado? Because I think he's got a reputation that's pretty well-deserved. And I think umpires are human. They might think this guy's a punk and say, well, I'm going to give him a quick ring up and I want it. And that's why they're so upset about this because you haven't seen them get this upset about anybody else. I think it's personal. Um, so here's the interesting thing. And I just said um on the air and I apologize. No, that's okay. The interesting Dramatic thing. effect. Uh, <laughs> that umpires actually do have players who they don't get along with. Right. And the players think that the umpires will call safe or out according to the player or ball and strike. Umpires, and I'm not a big umpire guy, mm -hmm. and referees, I'm not a big referee guy, they've got credibility for their profession. They will not mess up a call in this era of instant replay, and they're being judged on the K-zone. They're being judged on safe and out calls. They're being judged, and they get money according to how often they are reversed on instant replay. So the personal stuff only comes after a call, and it comes with the quick hook. That could have been personal. Right. The original call is not the quick hook, like, get out of my face. Yeah. You're a guy I don't even want to look at. That happens. Uh, the reason I don't want the robo um, umpires and to have the computerized strike zone is because – and I think hitters would appreciate this too. But as for pitcher's standpoint, I like the fact that there is – not a defined strike zone that you might be able to figure out. All right, this umpire is letting me paint the black. He might even let me get, you know, a little bit on the outside of the plate. So I'm going to start to use that and utilize that. And, and you don't, well, why not? not? Good for baseball. It's part of the art form. It's you know how much time we used to spend dealing with umpires in their strike zones in our scouting reports? We would, before a series, we'd say, here are the home plate umpires. Here's what their tendencies are. It's 20 minutes of your life you never get back for <laughs> no reason. You could be in the cage working on stuff. We could be doing other analytical analysis. Instead, we're working on which guy has a different strike zone. Are they calling it according? Are they high? Are they lower? Are they outside? Are they short? Are they tall? Are they fat? Do they chew tobacco? Do they spit? I love it. It's personality. It where the catcher sets up. There's umpires who call balls and strikes according to where the catcher sets up. Come on. I love it. Hate I love it. it. I love it. Cause Hate you know what we're going to see if we go all these robots? We're going to see robots playing the game I too. I just know we're not. I want to see kids playing video games with holograms on the field. Listen That's where Will we're moving. Smith. If Bridget Monahan would be around, then I'd be <laughs> the iRobot. Right. But I'm not talking about only robots replacing umpires. I'm saying when you want to question a ball or strike, you get three opportunities per game to question a call. It goes right to the jumbotron. Okay. So you're just saying, ball, uh, and that's the end of it. Oh, I kind of like that. I don't have a problem with that. It's I don't want to see umpires replaced. I do not either at right. all. Right. I want the ball and strike arguments to disappear all right i like that um i used to be as far as the netting in the ballparks went i i'd say probably five as soon as five as recent as five years ago i was a old school why do we need the nets if you are at the game you need to take responsibility and pay attention and if you get hit in the face it's your own fault um i feel like i've evolved to a place where i'm thinking all right What's the point? It's not going to be noticed that much. You can have netting that's virtually unseen to the naked eye, or at least you forget about it after five minutes of mm -hmm. you're at the game. So I've kind of evolved to a place where what's the big deal? It is, uh, Rob Manfred has said he's not going to make it mandatory, at least this season. He's going to, they're going to talk about it as they do every offseason. There's Who knows legal reasons for that. Okay. 
Uh, and the Chicago White Sox, who had an incident not that long ago, they've excited to, uh, decided to extend their own protective netting, which is, I think, the trend that you'll see. It's just some teams will be slower than others. Uh, what is your take on the netting as if somebody who ran a ballpark and yeah, ran I've evolved when we built Marlins Park I wanted as little netting as possible because our season ticket holders we didn't have a lot of them but the ones we did have they know that if they're behind the plate they've got netting and protection if they want to be down the line they know they have an interesting view but they've got to pay attention I've evolved a bit also but what I you can't legislate away all injuries and all risk and I agree. I am, I am, that's where I'm old school. In our society, I think we're trying to do that. It's why, you know, we have to carry on three and a half ounces because some guy brought on a plane. Do you know on a plane now, they check my candy? Really? I travel with candy. I'm one, a big candy guy. One Sour terrorist gummy. brought candy and in the candy were explosives. Now, every time I go through security, they're checking my licorice jelly beans. Really? I can't stand it. <laughs> and it's right. You have one shoe bomber. We all have to take our shoes off. Right. So people get hit. I get it. The protective netting is going to protect certain balls, the flight of certain balls and bats, but it's not going to protect every injury. Right. Things are going to happen. So I have no major issue with it. But to say that we're doing it and now everything's going to be fine so you don't have to pay attention, I don't like giving fans false safety. Right. And I, I would say too, like, I'm like, this is where you're bringing me back to the old school mindset is you can't live in a bubble. And we try so much to bubble wrap everybody and protect them from everything. That's where I'm so defensive about the sport of football because all this conversation is, oh, you know, we're making the game safer when inherently it's a violent game that is not safe at all. And I'm okay with that. And most football players are, but then you have all these parents of young kids who are like, well, I want my kid to play football, but I don't want him to get hurt. So let's change the game. And I'm like, that's not how it works. Like chess. Right, exactly. There are other things that you can do uh so that you're protected. So why do you have to be quiet during golf? It's not the I would, opera. I I agree with that one. And I think it would be thorough. Like my daughter plays golf and she doesn't love it because it's not exciting, right? And she goes out and she watches basketball or, you know, football and you see these crowds and it's energy and there's excitement. And you watch golf on TV and it's a whisper and everybody's calm. And my daughter's like, I wish they could be more fun. Like the hands are up. Yeah. And then you've got the golfer who says, Oh, that guy right there. Yes. When I went to the Rose, there was a guy said, That guy there's talking. (laughs) So I'm talking, but I would say this. I say they're either go all or nothing. Like I would rather just say, Hey, because it is, it's more distracting if it's supposed to be quiet and there's one guy who yells as opposed if there's just a nice murmur or an all out yell. You know, like I say, let them do whatever they want. Let I won't the fans go to another golf tournament because of it. At the Ryder Cup, I wanted to yell. I was having some drinks. I was enjoying myself. I was with friends. Right. And I'm being scolded. <laughs> I'm a grown man being scolded, having bought a ticket because Tiger Woods is hitting a shot. <laughs> I love Outrageous. it. Outrageous. All right. Welcome back to Canal and Bell. Finishing off here with David Sampson. Been a fun show so far. Uh, the NBA draft is tonight. Uh, I'll give my quick synopsis of my draft experience because i think i've done it here before on the podcast and i'm more interested in hearing your uh because you've had many more draft experiences than i have mine was painful for me because i had heard so many things and this is what i always tell guys unless you're a top 10 pick and you know you're going top 10 in the draft don't listen to anything anybody's telling you whether it's draft gurus whether it's your agent whether it's you know some report out there whatever it is don't listen to them try not to get it caught up in the noise but it's human. You were going to, and you start looking at the money slotted and you're like, well, I could make this much money or I could make this much money. And all I kept doing was going, all right, I'm going to make this much less money, this much less money. And it wasn't even about that. I was, where am I going to live? You know, those questions start to come in. Am I going to have a chance to play right away? Or am I going to go play behind a Dan Marino or a John Elway, which is what I wanted to do. 
Um, so basically it just was a really long drawn out process that kept hurting worse and worse as I kept dropping finally to get drafted in the fourth round by a team that I didn't talk to once during the draft process when the New York Giants selected me. No, like they didn't show any interest. I had no idea they were even on the radar. They took me and I was like, Oh, I'm going to New York, I guess. So that's, that was mine was kind of, that's my quick, quick story of it's, it's can be great for some guys and other guys it can be a little bit more painful. And then of course there's the other end of the spectrum, like Raja guys that don't get drafted at all. And they're sitting there thinking, man, there goes my dream. Am I done playing at all whatsoever? So there's different experiences out there for a lot different of people. Different in sports, though. Each sport's different. So True. in baseball, if you don't get drafted, it's a major deal because there's 40 rounds. <laughs> right. Basketball, when there's, you know, are there how many? Two, two rounds. Two rounds. It, right? Yeah. So only, there's only 64 people being drafted in theory. So for Raja to be a top 70 player in the, in the, if you can be a top 70 player in the whole country and go undrafted. How come you didn't look at your dad and say, <laughs> my God, I'm about to be a professional athlete? Yep. Like, how about a glass half full? Why do you have we to We did. As empty? soon as it was, as soon as I was taken, that was, the, my dad's like the eternal optimist. That was the spin. Hey, New York is a great city. It's a great franchise. They had won a Super Bowl five or six years before. Dave Brown's, you know, up in there. His future is the starter. Maybe you can play. So it was immediately a hey, fun. I'm the father of an NFL player. And that was the way it How was. That's that? a, it did spin that way quickly. But it's just in that moment when you're watching guys that you think you're better than. Because that's what happened to me. I saw Bobby Hoying. And not a knock at Bobby Hoying. I was like, man, I can, I can play better than him. There was a guy named Jeff Lewis who had played at Northern Arizona that I had never even seen play. And he got drafted ahead of me. I'm like, well, what the heck is Better makeup. On? Right, right. It might have been that. It might have been. Uh, definitely was. Definitely a harder worker too. Um, but from your perspective, yeah. What is it exciting? Is there unknown? How many times do you know the guy you're there and you actually get him? What is the experience it's like a, from the ownership? It's a juggling act. So what's going on is it's all money related in baseball. So what we're doing is it's you absolutely know who you're drafting in advance because you've cut deals. And you're not supposed to, but every team does. So you have a pool of money that you're allowed to spend in your draft, and you have figured out how you're going to spend it. If I draft John Doe with the number five pick, I know the slot for that is $6 million, but I have a pre-done deal with him for $4 million, so I've saved money that I'm going to give to a number two second-round pick who I've negotiated with who will only sign and not go to college if we give him a $1 million over slot. So we're, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You're maneuvering pieces all over. And when something goes wrong, like in any puzzle, it throws off the whole puzzle. Right. So when you're expecting a player to be there because you've had the conversation, you've spoken to the agent, everything's ready to go. When that changes, that's when there's tension on draft night. When it goes as planned, you're very happy about that. And I'm not talking about planned according to the gurus. gurus right. Your plan the behind drafts. the scenes. Yeah. It's all behind the scenes plans. All of the, I love the mock drafts for our fans and for our listeners and it's great entertainment. But when you're running an actual team, we don't look at mock drafts at all. At all. We're focused on which agents. We'll talk to the agent. Who are you talking to? What money are you looking for? And do we believe talking to the player that that player is going to go to? college uh or 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 not go to college is he going to threaten to go to college mike stanton john carlos stanton he was saying he was going to go be a tight end play football we actually knew that he wasn't going to play football really but no other teams did which is why we got to take him in the second round right because we knew that we were going to take him we were going to pay him more than second round money and he was going to play baseball let me let's say you had for instance the fifth overall pick and you mentioned you had a deal in place with this john doe um 
and obviously there's a, per, a chance he could get taken fourth or third. How many guys do you have potential deals with? Is there only one and then that Over gets totally blown out? Like how does, what's the backup plan? So I love that. I, I want you to picture the prom right in high school when you ask when you're a sort of awkward guy. I know where you're going with it. Ask a girl to the prom yeah. and you really hope that she says yes. <laughs> However, you've made a list and you are ready to pivot at a moment's notice should you get summarily rejected, which obviously never happened to you because you're a quarterback and a strapping <laughs> right. young course. man. But for the short guys, it was a world of backup plans. Yep. I could imagine that would be the same place. thing. And that's where the war room takes place, right? They have all the names Everything on the board and right they have there. them slotted right there. And we know exactly what money goes to which player, who their agents are. It's all written. We used to do it in handwriting. Now it's all electronic. Yeah. They have it all up there. Uh, all right. So last night we had Zion Williamson was doing some press. And this is a pretty funny photo that went viral uh, last night during the evening. Zion has a zillion members around him. They all want his quote. And then you got Goga Batats, Badatsky. How do you say his name, Coca? Batat, Badatsky. Badats? Batatsy. Batatsy. Goga Batatsy. Uh, from Longingly Georgia. waiting to be interviewed. Well, isn't that an unbelievable shot, though? It's so disrespectful to him. And it doesn't care. I they agree. spelled his name wrong on the name tag. I don't think he cares either because he's going to be, you know, get selected tonight anyway. What I think the thing is funny is that you had a lot of NBA players actually tweeted him. Dwayne Wade said, "Quote: Use it as fuel." Draymond, Dickens. he should frame this pick. Look at it every day and grind. Yeah, he should get Zion to sign it so the picture will be worth something. <laughs> exactly. that's, that's what I would do. How about Super thinking. Bowl? All the times the Super Bowl media event. Oh, you always had huge crowds against certain people. When you go to a Super Bowl, you know, clipboard man, they're not going to be 500 people around you. Right, unless you have a good personality, then maybe they'll find you. Or that's you're what good I looking. Do. Having covered those, I because I've covered a lot of the Super Bowl press days and uh college football, I always look for the guys because it's hard to get a question in there, and those guys are speaking in cliches. Give me the backup quarterback or the punter or the you know special teams player who's going to give you a great interview and give you spoken like a backup quarterback. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Women play today. The U.S. Women's national team, even though you don't want to say that. USA versus Sweden. That's what it is. Dialed in. Are they going over two and a half goals? More importantly. Oh, I think it's going to be a two to one game because it'll be two zero, but Sweden will pull the goalie <laughs> and there'll be a power play goal to go over. I am all over the over on that one. You know what I want to see though? I want to see a whole lot of this. <laughs> Golf claps. No, no crazy celebrations. There's be major no. cheering. Major. Now, today, go nuts because it's going to be a close game. They better celebrate like it's the first goal they've ever scored. Thanks for having me, Danny. Love it. Thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow.